So I was standing in the very spot that Jesus delivered the demoniac and cast the demons into the pigs. Two years ago, on the actual day of the calendar of the Feast of Sukkot that we're going to study tonight. A day, a week, that the Jewish people gathered to pray to God to bring rain down upon them and to speak to them. From this spot, I could see the Sea of Galilee, and right before my eyes, a storm was brewing over the Sea of Galilee on the very day I knew in Jerusalem they were praying for God to bring rain in the great water libation ceremony. And I thought, how is it that most of my Christian life, I've never even heard of the Feast of Sukkot? That's in the Bible. The Feast of Tabernacle. Really? The Feast of Booths. What is this feast, one of the three most significant feasts in the Old Testament and New Testament, that is barely mentioned or taught? Today we're going to look at what is this Feast of Sukkot and what it's going to tell us. It's going to tell us what God did in the past, what God will do in the future, and how you and I should respond. And my hope is that you will experience what I've been experiencing as I've studied this for the last couple of years, an increased confidence in God, an inf- increased confidence in the Bible's reliability, and an absolute bedrock confidence in Jesus being exactly who God promised he was. But specifically, there's a real practical skill that comes with the Feast of Tabernacle, which is it teaches us also how to tabernacle with people, how to be in the moment with people, to not miss the ministry of presence with people. The first thing Sukkot teaches us is what God did. So let's talk a little bit about how Leviticus opens it up and where it gets this idea of the Feast of Sukkot. The reason it's called the Feast of Sukkot, because way back in Genesis, Jacob journeyed to Sukkot, And he built himself a house, and then he made booths, or a tent, uh, a temporary structure for his livestock. So at the very beginning of Genesis, we get the idea that at Sukkot, you build tents, temporary dwellings. The tabernacle will be a temporary dwelling, and there will be an annual celebration at the, the Feast of Booths of why we need to make a temporary dwelling once a year to remember what God has done in our life. The second thing we discover in Leviticus is that the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to the children of Israel and put this on your map. Put this on your calendar. The 15th day of the seventh month shall be called the Feast of Tabernacles. For seven days this party is going to go on. That's why we've called this series Life of the Party. God says you need more parties. You need more celebrations. You need more... uh, Times to reflect on my goodness. And this party is going to last for seven days, and then the party isn't over because they add on the eighth great day. An eight-day party in your calendar every year on the seventh month. On the first day of this time, there will be a holy convocation, a Sabbath to begin it, and on that you shall do no customary work. So quick calendar here. The first month in the Jewish calendar is Nisan, which means the seventh is Tishri. So we're in Tishri, 
And there are a couple feasts that occur during this month. The Feast of Trumpets, we learned about last week. And the Feast of Trumpets occurs on the first of the month. And 14 days later begins the Feast of Tabernacles. And in between there is the Feast of Atonement. And again, we notice in the calendar that God has crammed these things together. What we learned a few weeks ago is that Passover, Unleavened Bread, and Firstfruits were the exact day on the calendar that Jesus died on Passover... He was buried on unleavened bread and raised from the dead on first fruits. I wonder why God has crammed these three together and what significance they might have to what God did and what God might do. A little more, more detail. We'll try and solve the puzzle together. Seven days, God says, I want you to offer an offering made by fire. So come before God during this great feast of joy and make offerings to how good God has been to you. On the eighth day, you shall have another holy convocation where you shall offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. So this eight-day festival begins with a recognition of a Sabbath that God judges us for what goes wrong and something needs to die for us. Joy for six days and then an eighth day, a recognition that we need to be delivered from God's judgment and the joy that comes from that. Now these are the feasts of the Lord which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, rehearsals for something to come. And I want you to offer an offering made by fire to the Lord, but also some drink offerings of wine and a grain offering and a sacrifice and more drink offerings. Everything on its day, and besides the regular Sabbaths of the Lord, and besides your regular gifts or tithes, and besides your vows, and besides all your free will offerings you give to the Lord. So it's an incredible week of generosity. You reflect on how generous God has been to you. And you lavishly pour out generosity to God and others in response to tabernacles. One more little clue. This is on the 15th day of the month. This feast was known as the Feast of Nations. It was known as of all the feasts, the Great Feast, because it was so long. The Feast of Joy. Jewish scholars say you've never experienced joy if you haven't come to the Feast of Tabernacles. It was called the Feast of Light because it was symbolized by a gigantic, as we'll see in a few moments, menorah, 40 to 50 feet tall, four of them actually. It was known not only as the Feast of Light, it was the Feast of Water because of the water libation ceremony that concluded it. It was the beginning of the new year, even though their first month happened seven months earlier, this was a recognition the harvest came to an end, and this was their New Year celebration. So in the same way, we have different calendars. Maybe your fiscal calendar is not aligned to your actual January calendar, depending on when you do that. We often have calendars that don't sync up. The agricultural calendar came to an end, and this was the recognition of their New Year party. Also, their annual reading of the Bible began here. They would read through the entire Torah, and they had a brand new reading plan that began on this day. So a lot of significance here on this day at this time. And that eight-day ceremony began with judgment and ended with judgment. And that might be significant too. Now one more weird part. Part of the ceremony, God says, I want you to take very specific things and gather them together. First, I want you to take for yourself fruit from beautiful trees. And today it's almost always this lemon-looking, it's not a lemon, it's a lemon-looking plant. I want you to take fruit. And then I want you to take branches specifically of palm trees. 
and then the boughs of leafy trees and the willows of the brook. Put those very specifically together and I want you to rejoice before God for seven days. And even today, you'll see as folk gather together, they bind these up and they wave them before God. The fruit in one hand and these three different bound together boughs before God. Kind of weird. Empty ritual? Just a gimmick? Why would God have them do this in this way? Is there some hidden symbolism? It's interesting as scholars and rabbis have studied this over the years, they've actually found that the best explanation is the simplest one. So simple that even a child can see it when you know what these different boughs and leafy substances are. Let me show you a little picture. Zoom in on one. Why does God choose these particular ones? And most rabbis have come to the conclusion it was to represent that you want to give your whole self to God. God, this next year, my whole self is bowed down before you. My whole self is given to you. What do you mean? Well, one of the branches he, he gave looks a lot like lips, mouths, as if a whole series of mouths are there. That you were saying, God, I'm giving you my mouth. I want to speak your words. I want your words to flow out of my mouth. I want everything about the countenance of my faith to go your way. Another one of the plants looks an awful lot like eyeballs. See all the sets of eyeballs? We'll add the nose and the mouth on this one. That God, I want to give you my mouth this year, and I want to give you my eyes. I want to see things the way you see them. I want to see obstacles the way you see them. I want to see perspective the way you do. And the third one was a big, uh, rough, tough, rock-hard kind of plant, which the rabbi said represented our spine because everything in our body is held together by your skeletal system. Your nervous system is protected by it. Your skeletal system is supported by it. And that that plant was to represent the whole of your being. The whole of your spine was before God. And this fruit was about the same size as a human heart. And so you're waving these things before God as a way of saying, God, I'm giving you my whole heart. I'm giving you my eyes. I'm giving you everything in my support. I'm giving you my lips. This is a year that I want to dedicate the whole of me to the whole of you. Another interesting part of the ceremony is that during the time God says, I want you during these eight days to dwell in tents. It's camp out time. To which you're saying, this does not sound like the greatest feast. Now, my wife loves camping. And when I say loves camping, I mean she would choose a root canal over going camping. <laughs> camping is like a holiday in express. That's what camping is. And God commands the Jewish people to camp in their own backyard, not to live in their own house, by building these temporary structures, these booths, for seven days you camp out. All who are native Israelites, I want you to dwell in a temporary housing, a booth. That, and here's why, that your generations may know that I made the children of Israel dwell in booths during 40 years of wandering when I brought them out of Egypt. And this is the ultimate object lesson, not only for you, but for your children and grandchildren. Because once a year in this great party and celebration, you built a booth together as a family, and you dwelt inside of it. So imagine you're going to live in a tent in your backyard for seven days. 
Whether you've got a huge house or small house, it doesn't matter. This is going to be a huge change, isn't it? And while you're in that house, how many days before you start to miss your bathroom? You're in here and you're like, man, God, I miss indoor plumbing. And you peek out and you go, wow, we got a nice house. I don't even think to thank God daily for my house. You come back and you're eating some food. And while you're in there, you're, you're saying, I really, I love the car we have. I'm not using my car for seven days. God, thank you for my car. Thank you for our family. God, thank you for our property and our barn and our car and our horses. The goal was for you to reflect on all the things God's given you in what was basically our version of Thanksgiving. But for seven days, by stepping away from all the things that you normally do, you say, wow, God, you've given me so much. You've been so generous to us. I can't tell you the last time I thanked God for indoor plumbing, but I am thanking Him every day for seven days while I'm here. And this was designed to teach you not to take advantage of God or not to forget to thank God for all the things He's given you by living without them for seven days. And as your children and grandchildren ate with you, played games with you, you you invited friends and family in to feast with you, you told the story of God's deliverance from Egypt and how we did not have faith in God because of the giants and the fortified cities. And so a whole generation died who had to live in tents for 40 years because they didn't put their confidence in God. Just a beautiful object lesson for teaching your children and teaching your grandchildren as you lived in a tent for these days. Now, this becomes big, big business uh, come 6, 7, 10 B.C. because Herod now builds a gigantic temple. No longer is the tabernacle a temporary dwelling. It's a permanent dwelling. And two million people would come for this festival, the Festival of Tabernacles, and Herod builds these gigantic menorah with four brass bowls to represent the four corners of the earth. And the fire that burns from these things, again, they're 40 or 50 feet tall, and the wicks would be made from old priestly garments. So as the the garments got worn out, they would take them, dip them in olive oil, place them in these big brass bowls. The fire coming up from these gigantic menorahs in the middle of temple, Josephus tells us, were so bright, the light so powerful. It illuminated not only the temple, but since the temple is on a hill, this light illuminated the entire city, that there was no place that did not have shadow and light coming from this source. And these will be in place when Jesus will walk into the temple on the Feast of Tabernacles several times in his life. So it's a festival of light, a culmination of the the priests climbing up on ladders, lighting for the first time these tabernacles, and boom, light shadowing through the entire city. It was a time of dancing. You'll notice here in this artist rendering that the women are actually all watching while the men are dancing. And they're celebrating, God, we're going to depend on you. We are trusting you. We're thanking you for the harvest. Now, the Jews, and we're going to jump to the New Testament for a second and show you how Jesus attended this. Now, the Jews' feast of tabernacles was at hand. His brothers, Jesus' brothers, said to him, Depart from here and go into Judah, 
that your disciples also may see the works that you are doing. For even his brothers did not believe in him. Then Jesus said to them, so we're about 33 AD now, my time has not yet come. So here he's saying that whatever the Feast of Tabernacles was, it's not yet fulfilled fully as of his 30th birthday. My time has not yet come for the Feast of Tabernacles, for your time is already. You go up to this feast. I am not yet, another time word, going to the feast, for my time has not yet fully come. Hmm. So what God did is he put this festival in place with very unique, specific timing on the calendar events for us to study, look at, and develop thanksgiving and confidence and reflection on God. But these are convocations. And even Jesus says they're not yet. What might this specific date fulfill in the prophetic calendar? Now keep in mind it's written at 1500 B.C. And let me give you a few hints in the Gospels. The book of John tells us that on the 15th day of the 7th month, people in Israel would have been thinking, New Year, New Study of the Word, Festival of Light, Festival of Joy. And the book of John opens and tells us, when God came to earth, he became flesh and he tabernacled among us, is what the word means. Like the Feast of Tabernacle. God literally tabernacled with us in the book of John. It says on the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, the angel Gabriel was sent to God in a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin. And if you do the math, I won't get into the math, you actually end up with Jesus' pregnancy date, and you add nine months, and you end up that Jesus is born in the month of Tishna or Tishri. Hmm. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. And Caesar knew that all the Jews, two million of them, would be moving at the three feasts. It would make sense that he would put a, a census on the very day that people would already be traveling for this great feast, the Feast of Tabernacles and Trumpets in that month. Also, because it was a harvest feast, you would give all of your harvest stuff for Feast of Tabernacle, what would be left over in the fields would be the leftover shucks. And this was a time that farmers allowed the sheep and shepherds to come into their fields. And so shepherds would be in the fields by night feeding their sheep at the Feast of Tabernacle. Hmm. Do you remember the angels said this is a time of great joy? The very thing they called tabernacles? A light shone in the heavens? Just like the festival of light? Could it be that the Feast of Tabernacle, predicted by Moses at 1500 B.C., with these giant birthday candles extending up in the air, is actually the birthday of the one who tabernacled with us. I'm not sure we can be sure, but there's a lot of hints that seem to make it very clear that the Feast of Tabernacles was a reminder that God would one day ultimately tabernacle with us through the person of Jesus. More than that, if you do the math, no one knows the day or hour what God's going to do in the future. But isn't it amazing how in the first coming everything lined up? His death, his burial, his resurrection, and Pentecost to these feasts. I won't be surprised if this feast called Trumpets 
aligns with a future event called the rapture, that with a trumpet he calls his people home. Hmm. In the same way that Jesus' birthday might have partially fulfilled tabernacles, remember Jesus is not yet. There's still an ultimate tabernacle to come. What could yet come that could fulfill the Feast of Tabernacles? It's a guy I listened to as a scholar for the Bible uh, project, uh, sorry, scholar for um, the Logos Bible software. If you want to look it up, if you look up When Was Jesus Born, and he's got a, a podcast called The Naked Bible, where he says, just peel back the Bible. Fasting. He actually believes Jesus' birthday aligns in the same month with the Feast of Trumpets. I actually think it aligns with the Feast of Tabernacles for the reasons I just presented. But either way, the evidence that he's born into this month in this time of feast is pretty strong. He actually shows that Jesus' birthday and the Feast of Trumpets that year, that Jesus could have been born on September 11th of 3 B.C. Was there significance as to why evil chose that date so many years later? I don't know. But it's worth looking into. How about in the future? Well, look at Jesus now. Jesus' feast... The Jews' feast was at hand, the Feast of Tabernacles. And on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood. Now let me tell you what happened on the last day. On the last day was the water libation ceremony. People have been cheering, people have been celebrating, people have been praying, people have been eating. And now they come before God and say, God, we want your rain. We want your water. God, we want you to pour upon us your spirit. We want you to pour upon our harvest next year your water. And the Pharisees, who led the ceremony, would come with water. And as it concluded, in the great culmination of music and cheering and praying, they would pour water out as people cheered and said, Yes, that's the water we need. The water from heaven. The water from God. And Jesus chose this moment, on this day, at the pouring of the water they thought they needed from God, that they thought would come from the clouds. And it's at that very moment, on the eighth day of the Feast of Tabernacle, that Jesus cries out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. And people wonder if Jesus has ever claimed to be God. Imagine showing up to the most religious ceremony you've heard for 1,500 years. And at the culmination of that religious ceremony, you say, It's about me! Either the Lord or a lunatic. Because he's saying that these feasts were ultimately about him. And that what you really need and thirst for is his presence in your life. And keep in mind, another little symbolism here, the priestly garments that are burning, and the priestly garments' goal was to give light to the world in this Feast of Nations. And you and I, as we learned five weeks ago, are called priests in the New Testament. And we too are called by God to burn in our lives, to shine light in our lives, that we would be the very priests that through his light and his water would give light to the nations by how we live and how we lead. And yet, what might the future fulfillment be? I don't know, but there's some interesting parallels. We did a series called The End of the World as We Know It, a study of Revelation, verse by verse, right before we got into this facility six years ago. And as I covered verse by verse through the Bible, here's an interesting note. That there is a trumpet sound at the beginning of what God does at the end of time that aligns with a trumpet sound 
where God calls us to his own, followers of Jesus, called the rapture. Seven years later, there's another event that is a thousand years where God comes and lives on earth in what's called the millennial kingdom, and God literally tabernacles himself with us. Literally for a thousand years. And that thousand-year period of time begins with judgment as Christ returns, and it ends with judgment, the great white throne judgment. As if this eighth-day celebration that begins with judgment has great celebration of God tabernacling with us and ends with a reflection on judgment and the convocation is a picture or rehearsal of some future time when God would ultimately tabernacle himself with us. So the feast tells us about what God did, what God will do, but even here there's some hints of how we should live. And I want to give you three of them. Three life lessons I think we can take out of Tabernacle about how to make moments, reflect on moments. One of the things that happen that I think is worthy for all of us to practice in our own life is to take time in your daily, weekly, monthly, and yearly calendar to reflect on your own Man, I had a weak moment. Because as you sat in this tent for seven days, you would remember the weakest moments in your history, in your family, and in your faith. You remember, the reason we had to be in these tents for 40 years is because we didn't trust God that he was bigger than giants and fortified cities. That was a weak moment. And God could have said, you know what, forget the Jewish nation, I'll go work with the Amorites. I got somebody else who will trust me better, but he didn't. Because when we are faithless, God is faithful. In fact, one of the things you would read when you're in your booth during these seven days is you'd read about how God provided for you in the Torah. And here's a powerful example of that from Deuteronomy. Your garments during those 40 years of wandering, did you ever notice that your garments did not wear out on you? I've been wearing this shirt for 40 years. I love these jeans. God has sustained these jeans for 40 years of wandering. He also mentions, did you notice your feet didn't swell during these 40 years? I sustained your sandals. I sustained, even when you were faithless and didn't obey me, even during a time of judgment, I was still tabernacling with you with a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud. That even when we break God's covenant, even when we wander away from him, even when we don't trust him, God still wants to tabernacle with us. And he wants us to reflect on our in a week moments when we didn't do what we were supposed to, when we didn't obey. And thank God for his mercy and his patience and his kindness. And this is the Old Testament God that most of us have been taught is angry and mad. He's got lightning bolts, just can't wait to throw them. The tenderness of a God who wants to presence himself with people who are filled with weak moments. And to remember, we take, we miss out on the blessings of God. Our house, our family, our health, and even our clothes have been sustained. And we need to reflect on that. One of the things is you built this, this booth, you couldn't help but see the similarity between that and the Jewish wedding ceremony with the hoopah. It's also a temporary housing. And when you built this as a reminder that you had something temporary in your backyard in the midst of things that were permanent, your own home. In the same way that God would one day bring the ultimate permanent kingdom of God in the midst of the temporary things of this world. 
So the Feast of Booth was a time to remember that God wanted to stay married to us even when we broke our vows to Him. And that the one permanent thing you could hold on to in a world where everything seems random and everything seems uncertain is His covenant commitment to love and stay with you and I. So remember your in a week moments when God judges you but still walked with you during that. Two, the Feast of Tabernacles is a reminder to be in the moment. That God wants to presence himself with people in the moment. The good moments, the bad moments. The faithful moments and the faithless moments. And I'm really convicted by this because I am often not really good at being in the moment. I am so strategizing the next step. In our marriage, it's good now. Think how much better it could be. Oh, yeah. Can't we just be happy? <laughs> Where are we going to be next as a company? What's the next step? And those are all good things. Those are strategies we need. The Bible endorses. Consider the cost of building a tower. But the Bible also says don't miss the moments with your kids, the moments in your marriage, the moments to grieve and be with people in their moments of comfort or appreciation or even despair. I had a friend who went through cancer several years ago. And as a private person, she said, you know, please don't come see me. I'm fine. I don't want to be a bother. Another friend of ours who's a friend of hers says, I live in Atlanta. I'm flying up to be with you whether you like it or not. So she flew up here to Cincinnati. I said, what have you been doing all week? She said, I sat next to my friend in the hospital bed fighting cancer and we held hands I'm thinking okay I could have done that for about 12 seconds and then what we just held hands I wanted to let her know I was with her tabernacling with her during this time of uncertainty and this time of difficulty I'm never going to hold hands with somebody for 7 days I'll just tell you that right now But I think learning how to be with people in the moment, financially providing, being a good listener, bringing relief, learning how to laugh with those who laugh and mourn with those who mourn, to not be so busy as you're running by. The kids say, hey, can I tell you something? Sure, sure, make it quick. And they say, I'll wait until you can listen slower. Being in the moment. My daughter, when she was little, she used to love playing this game. Like she's two or three, called the doggy game, which I invented, and I wish I could uninvent. The doggy game involved about 20 minutes the first time I played it. I would knock on the imaginary door. Ah, I'm at the pet shop. Oh my goodness, look at all the dogs. There's one, her. And I would go past her. Look at this big dog. That's ah, too big. Look at that dog. Oh, it's too furry. I'm looking for the perfect dog. And I'd go through all the different dogs with the shop owner, and eventually I'd find the perfect one. Perfect, and I'd pick up this wonderful dog, and I would pet her, and I would hold her, and I would give her a little snack, a Scooby snack that we had, and I would bring her home to the couch, and there at home I would enjoy this new pet I had. First time I played it was 20 minutes. I think I got requests to play that game at least 70 times a day. It got to the point that I could get that game done in 12 seconds. 
Okay, we stand right there. I'm going to knock on the door. Oh, look at that dog. Nope, nope, nope. Too big, too small. Oh, perfect. Look at this dog. This is wonderful. Have a snack. Oh, come on home. Sit on the couch. Oh, this is wonderful. All right, we're done with the doggy game. I'll see you later. My daughter's 20 now. And I'm amazed that though I was in a lot of moments, there's a lot of times I rushed through a bedtime because I had other things to get on to, rushed through what's next instead of being with them in the moment. I think the Feast of Tabernacles is a challenge for all of us to slow down and not miss the moments that are all around us. The moments that we miss because we're on our phones and we're on our devices and we're watching more TV or Netflix. And those are all good things. Except when they steal us out of the moment. And lastly, we need to remember to make moments. In the same way that this calendared event of building a booth create a moment every year to reflect on God, to reflect on His generosity... As you spent seven days reflecting on everything God's given you, no wonder you're so generous during those seven days. Because instead of thinking about the next thing I need, the next thing I want to upgrade, you thought, oh my goodness, I have so much. And this created a moment of reflection upon God's generosity. And every day you're saying, I want to give more to God. I want to write another check to God, a, a vow, an offering, a free will offering. God, I can never outgive you. But that spirit of gratitude and contentment and generosity came from making moments and habits of reflection on what God has done for us. And remember, God said in Deuteronomy how important it was that they would have these moments. And he put tabernacles in place because he knows our incredible short-term memory can be devastating. So it will be, he says in Deuteronomy, when the Lord your God brings you into the land of which he swore to your fathers to Abraham, to Isaac and Jacob. He's going to give you large and beautiful cities which you did not build. Houses full of good things which you did not fill. Hewn out of wells which you did not dig. Vineyards and olive trees which you did not plant. And when you have eaten all and are full, wow, does it get any better than this? Then... Beware, lest you forget the Lord your God, who delivered you from the land of Egypt and out of bondage. And God says the most dangerous place to be is comfortable and prosperous. Not because those cities aren't beautiful, but because your spiritual temperature will forget that God gave it all to you. And you'll, for, you'll think that you built it and planted it yourself. So make moments of reflection on God so you stay God-sufficient and not forget the God who wants you to be God-sufficient. Let's pray. Father, thank you for tabernacling with us even this morning. Thank you for tabernacling with us by coming to earth. And Father, we look forward to the ultimate tabernacle when you come and fix what is broken in this world and make a renewed heaven and a renewed earth. May we be thankful people. May we be generous people. May we be tabernacling people with those around us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for being here today.